Welcome to the Jeff Knows Inc. Entrepreneurial Podcast with your host, Jeff Lopes. Jeff has over two decades experience as a serial entrepreneur, building brands like KimuraWare from his home basement to a multi-million dollar global brand that has sold over a quarter million pairs of boxing gloves. Jeff's here to educate, guide, and drive you on the process of bringing your ideas and dreams to reality with the inspiring stories from some of the top business minds. Welcome to episode number 102 of the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lope. Super excited to have on today the host of Everyone Pulls the Tarp podcast, Andrew Moses. Great conversation. We talk sports. We talk business. We talk family. We talk memorabilia. Great conversation, everybody. Sit back and enjoy. We are live. We are live on the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lopes. we got a small across the stage. Excited to have on today, Andrews Moses, podcast host, entrepreneur, so many layers we're going to go through today, and we're going to have just a great conversation. I always start off by allowing our audience to know what you're up to, what you're currently doing, and then we're going to dip into your story, maybe current, might be past. We'll just let the story go and have some fun with it. So what are you currently up to, Andrew? Jeff, well, first off, thanks for having me on the, the podcast. It's, it's, it's great to, to, to chat with you again. In terms of what I'm up to, I, I'm, I've always got my hands in a, a lot of things like, like, uh, like you, uh, for sure. Uh, but right now, I am on a personal mission to uncover the secrets to success. And every week, I'm talking to high performers, Olympians, pro athletes, elite coaches, CEOs, best-selling authors, musicians, you name it, to try and uncover these secrets to success. And I'm particularly interested in what makes great leaders, what makes great teammates, and what drives people's work ethic. So this is, this is something that, uh, that I embarked on earlier this year. But you know, I, 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 have, I, wear, a lot of different, uh, I wear a lot of different hats. Uh, I'm also the, the, the vice president of business development and marketing at a, uh, a national consulting firm specializing in finance, technology, and business consulting. So I'm working with CXOs on all types of transformational business issues. And uh, most importantly, uh, I'm a dad to two little girls who are, are going to school virtually right now uh, here in our, uh, in our living room and kitchen. Uh, so, so I spend a lot of time making sure that they have everything they need to, to go about their business too. I love it. I love it. There's a lot of things we're going to talk about today. Also, Andrew is, is a huge collector of sports memorabilia. So I'm going to dive a little into that today, which is something I have yes. a passion for as well. Your podcast, let's, let's start off with that angle. You started it off when and what was your mindset getting into a podcast? What was your original reasoning for starting a podcast? So my podcast is called Everybody Pulls the Tarp. And earlier the, early in 2020, so last year, I had decided that I wanted to embark on this mission to uncover the secrets to success. What made the highest performing people in the world successful? And I'm just naturally a, a very, very curious person. People say when you have dinner with me or lunch with me or, or we have coffee, I ask a million questions. Uh, I, I'm just genuinely curious. So, so I, what I thought was, I said, hey, I, I've got this great network uh, of folks who, who I could tap into and, and learn and develop professionally and personally. Um, and I, and, but I'm also a, a giver. And, and I like to have people along with me on the journey and and, and share the, the knowledge and insight. So I said, what better way, um, if I'm going to have these conversations on this mission to uncover the secrets to success, what better way to, to share that with, with others than a podcast? So I said, 
I'm going to sit down every week. I'm going to record the conversations and people can listen to these essentially live. Uh, uh, we, We record them, but we record them as if we're live and people can hear almost as if they're eavesdropping on a conversation that we're having at a coffee shop or a restaurant about what made that individual successful. So again, it's called Everybody Pulls the Tarp. And and I get a lot of questions about that. Um, That is a mindset that I've lived by. Uh, And it started, Jeff, uh, 17 years ago. My first internship, I was working in minor league baseball because at the time, I thought I wanted to work in the business of sports. So I, I, I worked briefly as an intern for a baseball agent uh, I worked, I, I sent my resume to a bunch of minor league baseball teams and I, I got an internship with the New York Yankee minor league affiliate in New Jersey. And at the time they, uh, I thought I was going to go in there and I was going to learn the business of, I was going to learn the business of sports. So I show up on the first day and, uh, the CEO general manager says, Andrew, it's great to have you next next tomorrow, bring a pair of old clothes and keep them in the locker room because you're going to help the grounds crew this summer pull the tarp on and off the field. And I said, come again? What am I going to do? And he says, you're going to help the grounds crew pull the tarp on and off the field. And I said, I don't understand. What are you talking about? Isn't there a grounds crew for that? I'm here to learn the business of sports. And he said, Andrew, the, we have the same field as the big leaguers, right? I said, yes. He said, we have the same dirt. I said, yes. He said, do we have the same grass? I said, yes. He said, the only difference is that up in the, big, in the big league club, they may have 20 or 25 people on a grounds crew. Down here, we may have six, seven, eight. So in the minor leagues, you better learn. Everybody pulls the tarp. And I pulled the tarp on and off the field that summer, probably 15, 20 times. I was the mascot. I parked cars. I, <laughs> I set up moon bounces. I sold, sold, sold souvenirs. I did whatever was asked of me. And I tell people, and I'm not working in sports right now, I tell people, it was the best career learning experience of my life. And I think I credit, I know, I credit any you know, success that I've had so far in my career to that experience because it taught me that no task was beneath me, no task was above me, and everything was on the table and that I needed to, to help the team, the organization, however you know, it was needed in the moment. So I'm on this mission to find these tarp pullers and the, these people who are willing to do whatever it takes and along the way, you know, we've recorded almost 50 conversations now uh, on the Everybody Pulls the Tart podcast. It's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing what, what we've uncovered. There's, there's a little lesson I want to talk into there. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs that are starting off for the first time will learn this very quickly. You take on, and something you said at the beginning, you take on a lot of hats. And to make a business successful, and if you want it to be successful, taking a lot of hats at the beginning is necessary. And, and I find is individuals that go into entrepreneurship and they automatically hire all the staff. They all of a sudden they rent these offices. Those are the ones that why we have such a high failure rate. When I started, like I've been, I've, I've built, God, since 19, eight companies I've I, I built and exited. The company that I've obviously I've had for the longest time, Camoraware, it was, it was a, once again, starting from the ground. I had a little money saved, but I said, I'm going to start from the ground zero. And I wore all the hats I ran the company on my house for six years. I wore all the hat. And the reason I cooked the company on my house for six years, because I knew this company had the potential to be an eight-figure, nine-figure company. But I realized if I put myself in a situation of paying over overpaying rent and overpaying this. So what I said, I'm going to work on my house for five, six years. I'm going to save every penny I possibly can. So at year six, I was able to 
with cash, buy my first building, which now is our head office. So being able to work as many positions, understanding the many positions, learning the many positions in a business is so vital because you're never, you're, you can never put yourself atop of your employees. You always have to put yourself in the level where you could take on any task in that business and be able to run it. So I think there's a, a cool little lesson that you learned and you could, anybody could use that towards any form of business. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, the more I, I talk to entrepreneurs, uh, in addition to you, Jeff, what, what I've learned and through my own experiences is that a couple of things happen when you wear all those hats, right? So one is you, you, ha- you have an understanding of the role, of, of all the different roles. So that gives you empathy. So that gives you empathy for the challenges of that role, um, you know, things that maybe come up unexpectedly in that role that need to be addressed. And it also puts you in a position where you have, in my opinion, a, a much better sense as to what you need in the eventual person that you're going to hire to lead that function and wear that hat and then transition that hat over to them. So now you, as a leader, you have empathy, which to me is central to any you know, high-performing leader, is having empathy and understanding. And you've, you've walked in their shoes and you can truly say, hey, you know, you're going to deal with this, you're going to deal with this. When this pops up, you've experienced that. So you can put your arm around that person as the leader and say, I've been here. I, I, I can appreciate what you're going through. And, and that, that, that is, a, is a huge advantage in my opinion. Yeah. And there's another little thing I throw in there as well. And that's one thing I do with all my, all my companies I do is every single position I learn, even if we open up a new position, I learn that position first. We create a company manual for that position step-by-step. Step, and there's a reason why, because as an entrepreneur and as an owner of a business, you never know when one employee decides to walk out that door and not show up to work that day. So you, the, 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 the game has to keep playing. So you name, you need to be able to fill in that position. So if it, it might be you, it might be another employee having a company manual or having yourself understand the position, you could jump into that position on the spot. So I think that's another aspect that's important because you want to know how everything in a company runs. And like I said, I'm sure, I'm sure that CEO of the baseball team, he, he pulled the tarp how many times himself. So he, if, if one tarp puller didn't pull, he'd be able to jump in there. Being able to do that is so valid to keep the business flowing at all times, especially when we're dealing with a pandemic or something like that, right? Absolutely. We're, I mean, we're all being asked to, to operate in ways we've never been asked to, to operate before, right? The, the pandemic has forced every, everybody to be, to, to be adaptable. Um, and to adjust on the core, you know, and, and deal with new challenges that pop up. You know, I mean, I, I think about today as we record this. Today is the hundredth day of my my my, my kindergartner's uh, school today. They're celebrating the the hundredth day, and and as I reflect on a hundred days of school, what an amazing accomplishment for the these kids and these teachers because they have dealt with challenges like we've never seen before. Uh, so it, it's cool to see them celebrating. It's cool yeah, to see them yeah. celebrating because they've, they've had a chance to, to take on new things and, and uh, they'll, be better, they'll be better off in the future once we go back to quote unquote normal. Yeah. Yeah. If we ever go back to quote unquote normal, the new normal will be always a little different. Let's talk about your collecting days. When, when did your passion for collecting sports memorabilia start? And, and, and you have quite a big collection. I, I have one too, but we're talking about that. You said oh, with your baseball, sign baseballs. When did that start? Was that something you started when you were younger? Was it something your dad brought you into? Like, how did that all start? Yeah, you know, it was it was a um, it started as a kid, as a young kid. One of my one of my parents' friends 
um, uh, who unfortunately uh, passed away you know, at, at, a, at, a, at a pretty young age in his early in his early 40s. Um, he, he, he would go to conferences and trade shows. And uh, when I was a kid, my parents friend, and he wasn't that into sports. And uh, at one of these trade shows was uh, 86, one of the, the, the famed 86 New York Mets, Bobby Ojeda. And uh, he signed a ball and uh, he didn't have any interest in the ball. He didn't have any kids at the time. So he gave me the ball. And I remember looking at the signed ball and thinking, like, this is beautiful. It's a crisp white baseball with beautiful red seams and this perfect blue ink ballpoint pen signature. And I remember asking my parents, so this means that the Mets pitcher touched this ball? He signed this for me? And I can keep this forever? And I was hooked. And, and from that, and Bobby Ojeda, you know, was a, a good ball player, but he was not, yeah. you know, a, a yeah, star yeah. by any, by any sense. And then, and then, uh, you know, later, I think it was later that year, um, my parents, you know, went out to a, a, um, a collector showcase and they bought me a Nolan Ryan autographed baseball. And that was the start of my hall of fame collection, which is something I'm very proud of because I, I like to study Again, it, it goes back to my curiosity. I like to to study careers and statistics and what made people successful. And then I love to have a baseball signed by that player to um, to commemorate it. So it really blossomed from there. Uh, I, I have over 400 autographed baseballs now in the uh, in the collection. Many many Hall of Famers. I have a U.S. president. Um, I have uh, I have um, folks you know that are, are are Hall of Famers all the way down to folks that people would never heard of. But many of these people that people, the average person wouldn't have heard of, maybe did something unique. Like they, they, it was a reliever who had a save in two sides of the double header for the first time in, 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 in history or whatever. And, and I love collecting things like that because there's stories. And um, I try and collect as much of, of my memorabilia uh, on my own, uh, you know, directly uh, either directly through the, you know, with the player or the player's representation or, or collector showcases, some things I'll buy. Uh, I've also written letters to players. I started doing that when I was a kid. It was, it was actually maybe the first way that my parents taught me to budget. They would, uh, they would buy me, uh, you know, let's say $50 worth of stamps, which went a lot further back then, yeah. uh, for sure. And, uh, and I would pick out, you know, as many cards as I could to mail as a little kid to players. And I'd, I'd write the letter by hand. I'd address the envelope. I'd give them an envelope to send it back to me. I'd stamp it. I'd give them a stamp to send it back. So it was a little bit like gambling because you, yeah. you weren't sure it was going to come back. And I built my collection a lot that way. But you know, now it's something that uh, I, uh, I, I just love. You can see some of the things sitting back here uh, in, in, in the video. It's just something to me that um, as life gets stressful and things get crazy, uh, I can p pick up a baseball and it kind of transports me to either a time in baseball history or the time when I got the baseball um, or who gave it. I think about who gave it to me. Uh, and it's, it's, it, it's really uh, uh, refreshing. Would you ever look into that field as a, as a career or a business? I haven't. Uh, I, I haven't uh, to this point. I've been reading more and more lately about you know the the the, the investment opportunity that 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 sports cards and collectibles have, um, but to this point, Jeff, I have generally tried to decouple it and keep it purely as a uh, as a hobby. But and one of those things that I go back to when you know 
I find when things are stressful professionally uh, or personally, and, and you just want to, uh, one of my favorite things to do, people who aren't into collecting will think this is crazy, but if I'm stressed, like I might just pull out a binder of autographed cards by New York Mets and reorganize it by decade or something, something just to, just to change it up. Um, you know, or I'll, re- I'll do it by alphabetic, you know, alphabetized or, or it, it's just, it, it's calming. It's fun. It's, it, it's, uh, it's one of these things where, um, I think, you know, either you understand it or you don't. Um, but, but yeah, from an early age for me, it was, it was one of these things that, uh, I've always been, I've always been passionate about. And I think it's important for people to have passions and, and something like a hobby is so important because it does, it takes you out of your realm of the reality of every single day. And it just takes you into a place where you can just enjoy something. And sometimes I would say it should be on a regular basis, us giving ourselves that space, that moment of just that breathing time. And I think if, if, if you do it through your cards, that's a form of almost meditation in a way. People might call it something else, but that is a form of meditation, like sitting there, reorganizing your cards. It's just yeah. a way to unwind and not think for that half an hour, hour, and just let your body just, just, just relax. So I think it's so important. And being a valid collector and now dealer too, I do it as a little side thing. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It's something where if you're a sports guy and, and you've enjoyed sports your whole life, like I, we talked about this. I, I was, that was my side hustle. I like 12, 13, my dad would drive me to sports, sports card shows. And I would go in with 25 bucks, buy a bunch of packs, flip them, sell them, come back with a hundred bucks. And I'd be my spending money. And I'd be like the hero of all my friends. Cause I was the only guy at 12, 13 with, with a hundred bucks in his pocket because I was able to understand and the hustle part of it. And then it went on to collecting. And, and over the years, my whole basement is almost like a man cave with all sports memorabilia and stuff. So I've always built my office here is every wall in this place has some form of autograph, even where all my staff says it's just memorabilia everywhere. Cause it's something just, I, I just love looking at and touching and feeling kind of the same kind of a ordeal where you're saying, right. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. It, it you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking right now across the way here and, and I have a Jersey signed by Mike Piazza, one of, you know, one of the great Mets uh, of all time. And when you, when you look at that, I remember where I was when Mike Piazza signed it. Yeah. I remember who I was with. Uh, I remember um, some of the some of the great moments that that Mike Piazza um, had with the Mets. Yeah. And I also just think about um, sometimes you know the, the connection between sports and life, and how sometimes sports is there for you in in challenging times, in difficult times, periods of adversity, and it it either disconnects you from whatever the reality is at the moment for three hours or, or, or whatever, it gives you a little reprieve or it inspires you. Right. I mean, you know, y- yesterday was the, uh, the 41st anniversary of the, the miracle on ice when uh, the, the famed U S Olympic hockey team, Jim, uh, Craig. Jim Craig and Mike Ruzioni accomplished yeah. something that um, nobody thought possible back in 1980. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, you read articles about that. It inspired people to do things that they didn't think were possible. Uh, and that to me is what's very cool about the memorabilia too, is what, what's possible. What's possible. Yeah. I love that. I love that side of it too. Yeah. It's just, and sports in general, I mean, this is going to another, another angle is just how many people were so desperate just to watch sports when the pandemic stopped and all this, all the, the four major leagues slowed down and stopped. 
it was it was just like wow there's nothing to go on a sunday or on a saturday night for us to watch hockey or on a sunday there was nothing to watch no baseball so having that back and i know a lot of some people are very against sports being back and why they are allowed to be back that pastime is so important for a lot of people is that that a saturday night for two hours three hours they just get away from everything and just they, they, they just be able to enjoy the entertainment aspect of it right yeah, well, I, I think that was one of the really interesting things at the at the at the onset of the pandemic was the absence of sports and entertainment because and the tip and some of that live entertainment because yeah. those are the things that historically have always been there for us. I mean, even um, you know, even uh, at the time of September 11th and and those tragic attacks you know, here in the United States, I was living about 45 minutes from from where the World Trade Center was. Um, baseball returned. 10 or 11 days after, I want to say about 10 or 11 days. And it was, it was, it was a little controversial um, at the time because people wondered, is it, is it appropriate to bring baseball back? The the minute baseball was back in New York, everybody knew it was the right thing to have baseball back. It brought a bond. It brought a bond. Yeah. It brought a bond. And I remember the Mets played the Atlanta Braves. And at the time the Mets and the Braves were bitter rivals. They were, they were kind of neck and neck and, in, in the division races those years, um, the, the Braves kind of always had the Mets number at that point. Um, and, and they, at the, at the end of the national anthem, they crossed the, the foul lines and they began embracing one another. Yeah. And, and they said, we're all, we're all in this. Uh, and I think that was, that was something that was uh, challenging at the beginning of the pandemic was we didn't have sports to bring us together to trans, you know, to transport us from reality to, to a, a breather. I mean, you think about, um, uh, some of the ways through the years that uh, after all kinds of tragedy and adversity, teams and sports heroes in their local markets rally to uh, organize the community, fundraise, things like that. Sports has always been there for us. So, yeah, at the time, I know it was controversial. And, and I, I was just hopeful that, you know, within the parameters of what made sense scientifically and medically, that the sports leagues would figure out a way to uh, to create some semblance of uh, of activity. And um here we are. We're going to go somewhere, which I didn't, I had zero planning going on today, but you brought it up. So I just want to dive into that quickly. 9-11, you live 45 minutes from the trade, to the trade towers. Where, what, were you home at that time? And what, what, what was your mindset? Did you hear it? Was it just on TV? Did you feel it from 45 minutes away? Like, give me, give me the rundown of that day to you. Sure. Sure. Well, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm 35 years old right now. That I, I was in high school uh, during not during the attacks of 9-11. You're so how old I, are you? You're 45? I'm 35. 35. 35. Okay, 35. 35. Yeah. I'm 35. I was uh, in high school during the, the September 11th attacks. And I know exactly where I was. I was sitting in an orthodontic, orthodontist chair having my braces taken off. Okay, so I was, I was a little late to get the braces, but this was the big day. I was going to get them taken off. I was the first appointment in the morning, and I'm sitting in the orthodontist chair and he's got a little TV and the news is on and you see the first plane hit the tower. And then you, you think it may be just an accident. Uh, you don't, you know, a, a pilot that, that, that had made a mistake and we just, he just went back to what he was doing. And then I said, I think that another plane just hit the, another tower. And he said, I, I, that must be a replay. And I said, no, I think that's another plane. And, and now everything was changed. So he, he finished up the work and we were, we were, we were glued to the TV. But uh, for us, you know, we're, we're 45 minutes, you know, I grew up 45 minutes away from, from Manhattan and we, we go into the mode of starting to make phone calls because 
a lot of my friends have parents who work in the World Trade Center or work near the World Trade Center. Uh, lots of folks in our town uh, either go to the train, go to the bus, commute into New York City. So, so we went into kind of mode of calling the people that were close to us that we knew might be there to try and uh, see, see where they were and what their whereabouts were. And, and that was really tricky because the cell service at the time, you know, it was, it was the early days of cell phones. Um, the cell service was, was chaotic. You couldn't get through to people. You were getting these busy signals and call drops and you really couldn't reach people. So uh, I remember the first kind of exhale, um, you know, was a dear friend of my parents who worked in the World Trade Center when we made contact with him and knew with his wife and knew that he was, he was safe and accounted for. We, we, we exhaled briefly, but then um, we, there, there was a vigil that night locally um, because there were, there were you know, a, a number of people in our town who, who weren't fortunate, uh, as fortunate to, uh, to, to um, escape um, uh, that day. And, uh, you know, you didn't know at that night where things were, the rescue efforts were still underway. So I remember it being really, really powerful. Um, you know, a lot of folks got together. Uh, we went to our synagogue and, uh, just, you know, sang and, and, uh, and prayed and, and, uh, tried to acknowledge the gravity of the, the situation. And, you know, it, um, it was really, really, really challenging. And, and, uh, again, just being so close to it geographically, knowing so many people who were so directly affected. I remember later that summer I was working at a camp and I was a bus counselor and uh, you know, one of the families that I was, that, that I had on the bus uh, lost their father in, 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 in the world trade center. And these were little kids. And uh, I remember uh, I just made it my mission that summer to, to make their life as easy as I possibly could, knowing that nothing I could do could make their life easy. Uh, so I, when we got to their bus stop, I tried to smile a little, a little brighter hop off the bus a little faster. I, you know, I, I brought the three-year-old into my seat next to me. I gave him my clipboard. I had him checking off the, the people as we were picking them up. I wanted to do anything I could to just make their lives a little bit easier. So it, it, it was, that day was interesting. I haven't talked about it, thought about it in a long time. So I'm glad we're, uh, I'm glad we're talking about it, but um, it is, it is certainly uh, it's interesting. Cra- it's crazy how Anybody roughly, I'm, I'm obviously um, uh, nine years older than you, but anybody in our realm could, if you ask anybody, they could specifically tell you exactly where they were. I was on an elliptical machine at a gym, working out, looking at the TVs and exact same thing. One plane in, I was like, ah, the second plane came in and all of a sudden you saw just everybody from the gym walking towards the cardio machines because that's where all the TVs were aligned and everybody's just watching it. And at that point, wasn't married, but my fiance or well, I can't even remember if we were engaged already, but my 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 wife now, but she was working at an insurance building in downtown Toronto. And it was next door was a US consulate. It was attached to US consulate. And and as that was going through your head, you're like, US, there are gonna be tax in other cities. And I'm trying to get a hold of her. I'm like, you guys see what's happening. You got you gotta get out of there. And, and she's like, my bosses don't let me go. They're like, we're okay. We got to, we got, I can't leave work today. And I'm like, you got to get, I'm screaming at her on the phone and I'm trying to call my parents. And it's just like, same thing, even though we were in Toronto, the sales service was back then was crap. And everybody was trying to get a hold of everybody. Cause everybody was at this point watching or calling somebody, telling them about it. And it was just this moment of just like, what is going on? Cause there was so much uncertainty, right? Like, are there going to be attacks at other places? How many attacks? What's going on? Like, it was just this uncertainty. And every time you'd hear a news flash, it felt like somebody was either trying to predict something or something. So it was just like this 
big what is happening moment. And it, it was just such an eerie feeling. I remember that so clearly. Yeah, I, I think a lot about um, what that day would have been like if we were in the social media age that we're in oh, right now. Um, and the types of information that, that would be out and, and would it be right? Would it be incorrect? And um, yeah, it, it's interesting to to reflect on that. And uh, the uncertainty, uh, the way it changed, uh, the way it forever changed so many lives personally, but the way it changed everybody's lives and, and the way we do things differently now that we never we never thought of uh, on September 10th, the day before, you know, just the way we fly, the way we travel, some of those things that have just become part of our lives. I actually think that the pandemic's going to have, you, you said that, that there's what's normal after the pandemic. Uh, there'll probably be changes like that. They'll, you know, you'll, you might wear, you might bring a mask to a, to a stadium and if something, somebody's coughing next to you, maybe you whip out your mask. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I mean, I do believe, I mean, if you talk to anybody, um, from anywhere from the Asian country, I mean, you go to China or anything like that. I mean, they've been wearing masks for years and years on subways and stuff. I think this will become the norm on high traffic spots. You'll always for years and years and years to come, always see, even when everybody's been vaccinated or, or 70% of us have caught it or whatever the outcome that slows this process down, that takes the fear out of it. And we could go back to somewhat normality. I think masks are going to be something we'll see going forward on a regular basis human nature i mean let's be realistic human nature people tend to forget about things and people seem to eventually go back to where their comfort is but i think because this has been such a long process now it hasn't been like a a three month oh the world's ending or four it has been such a long process and we're probably still going to deal with this for another year realistically if not more and I think because it will be such a long process, a lot of these little systems, a lot of these little tools, all these little things that we are constantly, constantly doing now, I think are going to be just part of our everyday life. I, I think so. And, and, I, and as, as, as I talk to business leaders on the podcast and just in general, the, the sense I'm hearing from business leaders is we're going to use this as a, an opportunity to, to learn and probably accelerate adoption of things that we may not have thought about you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, but now we're forced to to look at like different technologies and different ways of serving clients. And, you know, should we run our business in a more hybrid fashion, uh, you know, as opposed to all brick and mortar or so. So it's going to, I think what's going to happen is the, 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 the smart business leaders are going to take a step back at the end of this and say, what did, what were we forced to do during this process that we want to continue doing? Yeah. And what are the things that are still impediments that we, you know, are going to be just in our, our pandemic, you know, ready plan. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's a pandemic has also opened up the globe for us. What I mean by that is prior to pandemic, I was a very successful businessman in my world. All of a sudden now the amount of networking, I would have never met somebody like you. I would ever have started the podcast, the amount of networking, like I'm dealing with people in the UK and Australia. And now I'm doing business deals with them and stuff. I would never have done because it's just opened up the, the thing where if I'm in front of a computer, I don't have to worry about somebody just to deal with somebody in Toronto face to face. Now we can deal with somebody in New York or New Jersey and, and do the same deal with them just by zoom. So it just opened up the doors and has also allowed a lot of companies to realize their budgets. Do we need to have everybody in office? Do we need to be paying for this expensive office space? Do I need to have 10 staff internally where I could hire some guy 
overseas, which was really starting to happen originally, but now it's going to expansionally expand that option where we can hire somebody overseas for a quarter of the price and do the exact same job. So I think that it has just opened up, it's, it's, it opened up the globe in a way where it's brought everybody closer together. And now Absolutely. us as business leaders and workers, we're all now so united, which we were never, we were never prior, right? No, I, I think it's shown us how interconnected we all are and yeah. it's enabled us to connect in ways that we haven't. And it's lowered the, it's lowered the barrier um, to, to, to entry uh, uh, to, and to do things, right? I mean, maybe there was a scenario five years ago where you and I would have said, hey, let's, let's record this podcast when, when I'm in Toronto. Yeah. And, and the next time I get to Toronto might be in six months. And then uh, I come to Toronto and we have every intention of getting together and then something pops up and you have to go somewhere. And then, we, and then the next thing you know, we've waited a year to record this podcast because we, we were trying to be together in Toronto. Now the possibilities are endless. I love, I love your story about how you're doing deals and, and you're building relationships with people all over the world. And you, you can go from this Zoom with me here just outside of the Washington DC area in, in, in the United States. And you could talk to someone in the UK or talk to someone uh, wherever. It's, 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 just, it's one it's of the bright open, spots. It's just open up so much opportunity. And I think the people that are scared to, to live in the moment and take this opportunity are the ones that are going to fall back pretty quickly. I, and, I think so. And, and, and if anything, this gave us an opportunity to realize where business is going, where the digital space is going, where brick and mortar, like I was never into brick and mortar. I, I hate brick and mortar. My business is all wholesale. Um, I like selling to brick and mortar, but I did get affected because now my, my brick and mortars were all affected. They were all closed down the gyms. So it, it made us realize very, very quickly that the world of brick and mortar is never going to be the same. Never. Correct. The same. But I do believe it will come back at a different way. Like to get people back into the basic brick and mortar is they're gonna have to be so much more creative because everybody's on Amazon now. Everybody's you could literally there's there's a comedian um, I was watching on Netflix the other day and he had this whole skit on Amazon and he's like we have become so lazy where it's like you click on something and it's at your door the next day and he goes what's Amazon Prime gonna be now? Click on demand. I put my hand out and they put it in my hand. Like it's it's he's doing this whole skit on this. I was laughing because it's we've become so lazy like we don't have that in canada yet but i i, I was told in the u.s with amazon they, they give you a lot box and they'll put the, your groceries in your fridge for you already yeah which is crazy like yeah. i told my parents that old school european they think i'm like and i i've lost i've lost a screw in my head but it's just where we are all going with this all and 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 where technology is kind of it's, it's just taking over our lives and us it's not a bad thing is us realizing now that certain tasks in our time are very limited. So what can we do with our time and what's more important at our time? That's going groceries or spending with our kids. So paying that extra 10 bucks and getting our groceries delivered and not, and, and spending that time with our kids is obviously a lot more important, right? Absolutely. I, again, I, I feel as though technology, the technology in the pandemic has accelerated adoption 10 years, right? Yeah. I mean, when, when my grandmother, when I check in with my grandmother and she's saying words like Uber Eats, and DoorDash <laughs> and Amazon Prime. I mean, you, you realize that 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 things have changed yeah. um, in the in terms of how we go about procuring uh, products and services. Um, I think there's a lot of positive to it. Like you said, yeah. now you know you figure out. Okay, you know, I if I have if 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 I have, if I'm able to have somebody pick up some groceries 
uh, or bring me that meal. I don't have to go out and pick it up. I could spend more time with my children. It enables you to, to kind of reprioritize, enables you to do things. But I think it also creates challenges because we've, we've become so accustomed to this instant gratification and you know, lack of planning. Like I'll, I'll give you an example, right? I mean, a, a book pops into my head that I want to read and I just open the Amazon app, I click purchase and it's here in three days. And then five days later, I, something else pops in my head and I read it. And then, and then I end up with a stack of books and I, I don't, I don't have, like, I, I didn't, I, I end up with a staff of books and I'm like, okay, this was interesting to me in the moment, like last Wednesday at three o'clock. But I think what, I think in, in the, in the past climate, right, where everything wasn't so online and accessible, what you do is you'd go to the bookstore and you'd say, you know, what, I think I'm going to buy three books to take on this, this business trip. And you'd have to go through this exercise of prioritizing and, and saying, all right, like, do I want three? Do I want four? Like, which three do I want? Which one am I going to read first? And I think that's a skill set that is useful and has a lot of applications in life and in business that maybe we're getting away from because it's just at our fingertips. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about time and family. Let's dive into that. How yeah. old are your, how old are your uh, two daughters? My, my girls are five and a half and three. So they're baby, baby still. So oh, yeah. what is, what is I, I usually don't even ask that as, as a question, but how did your life change and what has fatherhood meant to you? Well, it's meant the it's meant the world, and I I I don't I didn't know what to expect, you know, going into it. But uh, I think what it does is it it um it it shifts your mindset in terms of like what like what you're working for, right? You know, it, it went from I was working for myself to make money to grow my brand professionally to to do it. Now I'm now I'm working now I have a team, and and I'm working for this team to enable. Uh, you know, our family and, and my children to do things that they wanted to do and, and have opportunities that I had or create better opportunities for them than I had or, or whatever. Right. Um, I, I, it, it's, uh, I think the, the minute that my first daughter was born, it, it changed my mindset in, in what I'm working for and that I want to, I want to, I want to work hard because I want to make money to be able to support the family and enable all the opportunities that I had for them to have and for them to pursue their dreams. But I'm also working to set an example um, uh, for all the things I talk about on the podcast, right? To be a great leader, to, agree a great team, to be a great teammate, to, uh, to work really hard. Um, and uh, that's not lost on me in the pandemic and working from home the last year is taking opportunities to, to show my kids. And again, like, like you said, they're young, but to show them what I'm working on. Hey, you know, I can think of one night during the pandemic, probably halfway, you know, for, you know, it's probably six months ago where my little one like burst into the home office while I was on a, a Zoom call. It was a pretty intense call. We had a tight deliverable for a client. And my initial reaction was to kind of, you know, tell her to just to close the door and, and go, go, go back to playing. But I said, come here. And I put her on my lap and she counted the boxes on the Zoom. And she was so happy. And I think that that, you know, was a cool moment for me. I mean, I went from someone being someone who, uh, you know, uh, traveled quite a bit before the pandemic to now being home, obviously a lot, almost all the time now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, it's fatherhood is, has been uh, really special. And I think going into it, you don't know what to expect. But um, the fact that you're, you're responsible uh, to set an example 
and 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 provide the resources necessary for other people to have opportunity you know other people to have opportunities is is really really special yeah and and, and it's so crazy you're gonna i mean your 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 little ones are so young but i think we talked about this is is the lessons you're teaching them as a direct mentor but also as an indirect mentor there's a lot of things like you bring them into your world and letting them sit on your lap i think is very special and it's something i do all the time where if I'm having a business meeting or I'm having a podcast or if I'm doing anything, my kids are there. I'll be like, Hey, come say hi. Because I want them to see what I do. I want them to be involved. And also be honest. I mean, you might be a little different because you are working with a corp, but if I'm as a self-employed entrepreneur, if I'm dealing with somebody and they have an issue with my kids being here, then I don't want to deal with that person. That's right. not the type of person I want to do business with. So it, it opens up the light and everything too, as an entrepreneur, I always, I always tell my kids what I'm doing. And I try to show mine's are a little different. They're 12 and 14 now. So they're really at the age where they want to be touching and feeling and seeing everything. They want to be part of stuff, right? They want to see what dad's doing. So I, I, I include them in a lot of it because I want them to see like, Hey, like when I started writing my book, I started my book in March, got a pen and paper, started writing the book. And I just released it the other day. And it was just like, here, like, this is all the work I did. It was for this reason. So they understand the work ethic. They learn the work ethic. And I told them, and it's funny because when I told them in March, I remember telling my daughter and my son, I'm like, I'm going to write this book. And by early next year, we'll be number one seller. And, and, my, and my daughter was like, you can't say that, dad. You don't know that. I'm like, listen, I'm going to be a number one seller. So it was that, it was that thing. And I don't know if you saw that. We released our book in the first five days. I got number one in 11 categories on Amazon, which is insane. Wow. But it was, it was one of those things where it's like, I, I, I try and I, and I, and to me, that's teaching a lesson of hard work and ethic and, and, and putting yourself out there. If you want to do something you, and you work hard, you're going to get it. So everything I try to do is a lesson with them. And as your daughters get older, it's just constant lessons indirectly and directly, which is so special, right? I mean, there's nothing like the unconditional love of your child, right? And especially you got daughters. So you're taking care of, you got two daughters. So no matter what, how old and how long as you're good to them, how old, and how ruggedly you get, you, you're always going to be taken care of, Right. That's right. That's right. I, I, and, and, you know, it's, especially with my older one now, you know, the, she's in kindergarten. Um, she can understand a little bit more about what I'm, what I'm doing day to day. If, if, if I have to, if I, if I can't, um, if I have a meeting that causes me to miss dinner one night during the week now, cause I'm at home, I'll explain to her, Hey, this is, this is what I'm working on. I'm working on this. You know, a client really needs me to focus on this because, you know, daddy knows this, this, and this, and daddy's, you know, the only one at the company who can figure out this. And I, I, or, Hey, you know, daddy has to have a meeting with somebody, uh, on his team because, because, you know, that's what I, I'm a teammate. I'm a teammate too. And this is, this is something that's important and I don't want to leave that person. And I give them an example. I say, if you were, you know, working on building a puzzle with your friend and, and, and you ran and, and your friend ran off to do something else and you were left to finish the puzzle by yourself and you had started working on that puzzle together, how would you feel? And so I, I, I've learned more recently in particular to try and uh, share those stories. And the podcast is another, is another thing that has, has really, um, especially with my older one, she's taken interest in. She'll see you know, a recording or something on the screen when we're preparing to release a new episode. And she'll say, Daddy, who is that? And, I, and no matter who it is, I'll tell her, I'll tell her you know, the name of the person, what they do, and that you know, if you work hard, and you put your mind to it, you can do what they did too. And that doesn't matter, you know, if it's Tessa Virtue, the 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 three-time gold medal Olympic, you know, Olympic figure skater from Canada, a nonprofit CEO, the CEO of Top Golf, a uh, an elite college uh, basketball coach, 
musician, an author, I tell her, hey, if you work hard, you put your mind to it, you can do what this person did too. Um, but most importantly, this person is very successful because they, they, um, they treat people the right way, they work hard, and they show, they sh- they, 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 they show respect and, uh, and pride in what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always about the lessons. I'm going to ask, Usually, like I said, we, we, I usually don't have set questions. I always have just one question at the end. I ask all my guests. Um, I'll get to that one in a second. What's your favorite uh, baseball out of your 400? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, I have, um, th- there's so many interesting ones. You know, I, I would say, um, you know, the one that always comes one, to if you have to get rid of your whole collection, let me, have to be, let me rephrase that. If you have to get rid of your whole collection for some reason, you needed the money or something happened in your life and you're only allowed to keep one, which one would you keep? Well, the, the, okay. I'll, I'll give you the answer to this one. So it's a hall of famer, but you know, it's not maybe the, one of the great, the Doesn't greatest matter. players of all time. Doesn't matter. It's, it's Tom Glavin, the, the great Braves yeah, and Mets yeah, pitcher. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why, uh, you know, and this gets back to family and connection and, re- and relationships. My, my dad and I, uh, for many, many years go to spring training. We go to watch the Mets and some other teams train and we bring some baseballs and occasionally you can get some guys to, to sign balls, you know, there at spring training. We went for years and always just, we never saw Tom Glavin. We could never get, you know, we, we, we always wanted Tom Glavin's autograph. We always liked him. You know, he would sign and he would just walk away. You know, he'd be done. You know, we, we just miss him or he was hurt and he couldn't. And then one year, uh, my dad and I said, let's just wake up early one morning and uh, get to the, get to the ballpark early. And sure enough, we're walking to the, through the parking lot and there Tom Glavin strolls up. It's just me, my dad and him. And we had a chance to, to tell him, you know, some of our favorite memories and he signed that, that ball for us. And, uh, again, I, I, it's just, I'll always remember that because, you know, it's a hall of famer, but it was kind of a story, story. a story. And my dad, and it was, it reminds me of these trips that, you know, I hope we can get back to soon where we, we, we go and we watch, you know, father, son, we sit, we watch, uh, baseball, uh, eat hot dogs and, uh, talk about, you know, our favorite, you know, memories. Yeah. And I think we talked about this prior. That's something uh, we started uh, four years ago, Uh, me and my son and uh, my wife and my daughter, we do a road trip every year where we do a minor league. We do a, we do a minor league team and we do a major league team. So we went to, we went to New York. That was one. I actually caught a, I caught a ball in the outfield, a home run ball. Still have my wow. son's room, and my son was on TV on Sportnet that night on TV. So I, I, we went to New York. We did, and we do the whole experience. We actually go through the whole subways. We, we do the whole New York experience. Uh, we did Pittsburgh. We like we kept doing the cities, and then this year we were supposed to go to Chicago in 2020 to do uh, Wrigley, and then that happened. So we've been to Myrtle Beach. We've been to the Pelicans uh, minor league there. So Myrtle Myrtle Beach Pelicans. So we always trying minor league and major league. Um, we try to do one or two every single year as, as a kind of a road trip. So I, we, yeah, we miss that. I can't wait to get back to that part of it as well. Absolutely. It, it some of the, some of the, my favorite memories yeah, are yeah. seeing different baseball stadiums and that, that summer working in the minor league stadium. I, I, I really tried to remind myself, um, you know, the days are long and it's hot and sometimes the work is not that glamorous, but never lose side of the fact that you're working at a baseball stadium yeah, and that I love, that I love that and and uh you know yeah. th- there's something about the grass and the the, the oh, crack I'm of the a, bat I'm a, and, huge, I'm a huge baseball guy right and i don't even know this you know this or not but 
I've, um, I mean, I was coaching baseball for a year, for almost three years, and I'm really certified and qualified to coach baseball. I pulled out because my son was getting to the age where it was either, it was, it was getting, I'm very competitive and I, and I was allowing that to get between our relationship and I really didn't want that. So I pulled out, but as a coach, but I was, I was a head coach of a traveling rep team for almost three years. So I love baseball. I'm actually still part of a, a board, a baseball board. So I'm, I'm a huge baseball guy and I, and I played baseball. Love actually, I lived in Canada, but my sport growing up and I actually always thought I was going to make the majors was baseball. I played competitive baseball for years. Well, and I, I know there's people who, you know, who say, you know, it's that the season is too long. 162 games is way oh, too many. The game is greatest, like, greatest sport. I love it. Greatest sport. Because to me, it's, it's, it's like life. It's like yeah. business. It's every single day. Maybe you get an off day once in a while, but you, yeah. you have to grind. You have ups and downs yeah. and, and uh, you know, two football teams play each other. Right. I mean, there's a clock. Yeah. Um, and, and some people, you know, what I love about baseball, there is no clock. Yeah. We don't know how and when this thing is going to end yeah. and yeah. you never know what you're going to see. Such a great game. So last question I have for you, Andrew, is um, if something were to happen to you today, in a few words, how would you want to be remembered by your loved ones? I, I, I would want to be remembered as somebody who um, gave people more than he received. So uh, that I, I, I gave more than I, than I, than I took from them. And that uh, uh, I was somebody who um, they, that, that they saw as somebody who, who authentically cared about the people around him. And uh, that, I think that's, that's uh, what I would want to be remembered for. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. How could our listeners get a hold of you? Well, the, the, the best way to, to find me is on Instagram at Andrew Moses, one, two, three. That's Andrew Moses, one, two, three. And then, of course, the podcast, Everybody Pulls the Tarp, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever podcasts are, are streamed. Love it, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate this conversation. I'm looking forward to future conversations. And uh, I'm going to put on all our show notes how to, how to get a hold of Andrew, how to follow him, all the links to his podcast, um, also for his uh, social media feeds and all that. And once again, thank you, brother. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. It, it's, it's been a ton of fun. Let's do it again sometime. Thank you, brother. That's a wrap for today. I want to thank our guest, Andrew Moses, for being such a great guest, taking time his busy schedule. Great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Please, like always, spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your family. Leave a review. Five stars would be absolutely amazing. We always love spending time reading the reviews. Until next week, guys, keep moving forward. 